0: Running a widget is running a widget. That's what I learned in corporate. It didn't matter whether it was thermostats or a wind turbine or electric vehicle charging or a breaker that goes in a residential house. It's still a product that has to get made and sold. So you still need to have what we always talk about, the same exact things at CaneCast. You have to make sure your employees are safe and then after that, take care of your customer. And once you do that, build a quality product and deliver it on time. Nothing changes. That's kind of universally what you need to do in your organization. So applying that somewhere else, I actually wasn't that worried about. But it was partly because I ran into a really shitty boss that I had to get away from. That was part of it. And that was like the last step to push me out.
1: There's an entire generation of Americans who no longer care about prestige. Titles, work, travel, fancy offices, and lunches. Welcome to Mundane Millionaires, a podcast for this generation of small business owners who want to set their ego aside and focus on what matters: family, community, quality of life, and cash flows. In each episode, Eric Pasifici and Kevin Henderson uncover what it takes to get a little money in the bank, control your time, and invest in building great families and lives. Let's get started. We're live. We are. Cool. Kev, welcome back. Thanks, man. Excited to be here in person. We haven't done this in person yet. First time. First time time in person. This is going to go badly.
2: Um, It already has. (laughs) This is already terrible.
1: It's been a long setup, and also Reg is not here. So... The, the man of the hour decided decided that he would join us midstream. So, what do you want to say about
3: Kangcast while Reg isn't here, Eric? Yeah,
1: let's let's film our intro as if Josh isn't here. Let's pretend like he's not here. So usual well, yeah. again. I'm so I'm excited about this episode, Kevin, because this is Reg is one of my first SMB Twitter follows, or I, I followed him. I knew him before I joined Twitter, and he was one of the people I'd watched and really respected for you know what he'd done in real life but also the way he was contributing to the community on social media yeah you know a guy who isn't afraid to get in there support people you know he's built tremendous ceo and smb networks in real life he's all over the country kind of networking he's always down to have a beverage but he's also he's the real deal he's built real companies and, you know, he's brought... Well, here he is. Start saying nice things about yeah, it. Yeah, stop saying nice things. But he's also not afraid to tell it like it is, right? Because SMB ownership, we can we have a tendency on online to over-glamorize it at times. For sure. And there's been a lot of pushback, I think, on that recently. And for good reason, right? There's a lot of negative sentiment out there in the economy, particularly in real estate, venture capital, crypto. And it's starting to creep into our space. And we've got commenters that are, you know, living on the edge of those different industries that are you know, having a lot of heartburn about people over glamorizing small business ownership. And Reg is somebody who has always done a really good job, in my opinion, of telling the real story of small business ownership, well being somebody that I would describe as very successful within the space. So excited to have the chance to pick his brain live in the studio now that he actually bothered to show up.
0: All much. right, there we go. Keep talking. <laughs>
3: well we'd be we'd be remiss not to also intro man of the hour number 2 in the studio set up on a ping pong table in a in an office chair in Dallas so Josh Schultz also works with Reg kind of the operational you know we'll we'll get into what kind of the the breakdown of of roles and and skill sets and you know the different things they bring to the table but Reg and Josh are are well known in the community for working together and rolling up boundaries, integrating foundries, kind of revitalizing American manufacturing. So we'll we'll get into all that with with Reg and Josh uh, right now.
1: Yeah. And let me say one thing about Josh, because normally we film these, Josh, and, and Reg for your benefit. Normally Kevin and I will talk to, you, to the guest and then we take it back and we say nice things separately. We're gonna we're gonna say nice things about you guys in person. But Josh is incredible from an operation standpoint. We were in somewhere in the middle of nowhere last week at main street summit and had the chance to see these brent
3: two. if you're listening yeah. to this eric was editorializing the rest of he, us do not endorse. brent
1: is definitely not listening to this kevin <laughs> but josh when when the subject of operations and manufacturing came up josh kind of lost his mind for a few minutes talking about optimize you could optimize in the short term for square footage or for employees medium-term square footage you know and and broke it down was super excited so It'll be fun to pick their brains in person because these are, these are two incredible guys. So an end of nice things. Go ahead and, and lead in with the initial questions, Kevin. Well, I'm actually, if
3: you don't mind kicking us off, I'm actually posting uh, to Twitter right now our live stream link. So let, let me get this, <laughs> We're gonna me do get this, this tweet live. out while you while you get got it.
2: Too.
1: All right, cool. Awesome. Well, let's, let's dive in, Reg, because I think one of the things I'm most excited to talk about is your perspective on small business ownership having been somebody who's been in the trenches you've talked about, being, you know, candidly, one of your, your stories you've mentioned multiple times is being in the fetal position at 3 m in the bathroom after a long successful career, you've now bought a foundry and you're going, you know, holy shit, like I've ruined my life. Right. Something um, like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, t- so, so start off, tell us about your journey and what the early days of SMB ownership are really like for those folks out there.
0: Yeah, so I think the easy one, this is going to be what we joke about, that foundries, flip-flops, and the fetal position is going to be how they title our, our biography when they write it about us. But I think it, it certainly has become an easier and easier asset class to get access to, which is what concerns me. You know, seven years ago, and we actually talked about this last week at Main Street as well, just seven years ago, this was really hard. You know, there wasn't a lot of resources available. It wasn't something that is by any means easy. And so you really had to want it. I think that was part of having to work through it. Now there's so many resources. I just, there's, like I've talked about many times, it's some people are just built for this. Like you just can't imagine doing anything else. <clears throat> and that is kind of the camp that I fell in it, you know, 17 years in corporate. And I thought that I knew what I was doing when I walked in and quickly found out that running businesses in corporate and running it when it's your own money at risk. And, you know, you have some random thing that happens that you didn't plan for in your cash flow model or whatever it was bullshit that you put into that statement for the bank. And then you think you're going bankrupt. And that's, that's kind of the, the reality of what, you know, owning small businesses really like it, you don't, it is really different when you realize like when I'm writing out this check, I'm $26,000 poorer than I was right before this. And you just have to get over it after a certain amount of time. It just becomes something that you get used to. And once you get used to it, it becomes much easier, but that's 18 to 24 months in. And, you know, I think it's a, a lot of what people misunderstand, especially if you're in manufacturing, like Josh and I are, you actually have to go get your hands dirty. And if you don't, I totally understand that there's some people that buy really big businesses, capital allocators. But the problem is, is when you do that, especially you're owning it yourself, small business, you become an empty suit. You can't actually call bullshit on your vendors or your customers or your employees. You'll always be beholden to them. And that's why I tell people, you know, at least 18 to 24 months, really understand the intricacies of your business before you can move on. Because then if not, I think you get more of that anxiety for years and years and years because every bad thing, you're deathly afraid if someone walks out or something bad happens, you, know, you don't know how to handle that where once you learn to run your business, you don't have
1: to worry about that. Talk, Talk about, about the, the resources, user. right? So you said you, you bought your first business, a foundry in 2017. Yep. And, and what, how did you, first of all, how did you get introduced to business buying? What resources existed in terms of <laughs> lawyers and quality of earnings and, Yep. everything else there's a lot of assumptions built into that question <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like none i the running joke is i didn't know how to spell sba i just got completely sick of being in corporate and so I just started reading whatever i could find signed up for random business brokers i didn't even know that small business brokers existed i, I had no clue to that level so stumbled through whatever i could talked to some people and they said hey you can buy a small business and had never really dawned on me before and then started looking into it and you know realized something that is a half a million dollars a year and even to granny you have to understand the capex requirements yeah. but you know suddenly like ah, i could make a, a career out of that potentially you know depending on if you grow it pay it off you know that's a nice little business so i just stumbled into it um Had a a listing come up uh, on one of the online sources, jumped into that, got to know the broker, through there was introduced to a fantastic uh, banker in John Thwing. He was at a few different banks. That was a few different banks ago for him, but he walked me through and if it wasn't for him, I'm not sure that I'd have gotten through the process because he pretty much, he was the one that uh, had done 400 plus deals at the time and so he just more or less said, you cover the business side, I'll help you figure out to get through how to get through the banking side. And without that, that would have been brutal. So it just was, and then literally from there it was, he recommended an accountant and he recommended a lawyer that he'd worked through and done other deals with. And I went and talked with a few different ones and that's how we found it uh, right there.
1: So you, you don't know anything about buying a business. You've never bought a business. You didn't do M&A in your prior career at look You did M&A. Yeah. Okay. So you M&A, knew yeah. the nuts and bolts of buying a business, but not small business eminent. You walk into a foundry, things are on fire. I don't so, know what happens inside well, of a foundry. Well, so, but, so
3: before we get to foundries, because yeah. yes, let's break down what happens inside of a foundry. I mean, take it a further step back. Like why why manufacturing? Because you, if I understand correctly, while, while working in industry, you were mainly management, finance, et cetera, right, Reg? I mean, Set the record straight. But how do you find your way to not just I'm going to buy a small business, but I'm going to buy a small business in manufacturing, which for a non-manufacturing expert, the very little I know about it is like manufacturing is dying in America, right? Well,
0: that's what everybody told me for sure. That <laughs> yeah. Don't do this. This is a terrible idea. Manufacturing is dying. But I think, I mean, let's start it overly simplistically. So start with where Eric asked about doing M&A, corporate M&A they've talked about this a little bit online, a core deal team for us was 50 people, an extended deal team was 250 people. So if there's an environmental question, you pick up and you can get access to whoever the environmental person was that was read in. And the same thing would be, doesn't matter, finance, marketing, HR, culture, all that. I mean, there's an expert for every one of those. So even what I knew about buying in corporate had nothing to do or a lot of what I had to do. I had to go teach myself. Here's how to model and everything that I thought was going to be important, which is kind of typical for most initial searchers or people get in, they think that going and doing the financial modeling and whatever else is going to be what matters. And that's the 1%. You know, once you get past that, then the real work starts. And so that was kind of the big adjustment. And I think that happens to everybody in small business where, especially if you come from corporate, you have somebody to do everything. And the day you buy walk into your business you know nothing you you don't have you can't there's nobody that can help you and there's also nobody that is going to be able to push for whatever you need in you know it doesn't matter finance hr you just have to do it yourself so that's where it's i think really different and where as we figure it out or as we went through it the more and more and ultimately you know, how to get, I'll talk about the foundry specifically in a second, manufacturing, but you just have to understand no matter where you go into, you're still going to have to do that. Now, specifically manufacturing, that was my background for the most part. <clears throat> so 17 years throughout, I didn't specifically do like day-to-day finance. I didn't do HR, didn't do sales, but I did engineering, marketing, product management, M&A, business development, corporate intelligence, all those things around that. So you know, I was very comfortable with the financials, let's say, or I was very comfortable with going to do, if we had to do marketing and sales, or, but I, you'd have to go do that, which is very right. odd. Now, in corporate, being in manufacturing, I'd been in four or five different types of manufacturing. And so the fact that it was a foundry didn't really matter to me that much. It was more about understanding the economics of the industry and what we were doing and what needed to happen and that we could go figure out how to do it. Yeah, but I'd never stepped foot in a foundry before. We bought that one, so walked in. Looked like uh, as we talk about Dante's fourth circle of hell, everything is dark and dusty and on fire and hot. And I decided that was a good idea to go buy that. And so everybody else told me not th- to.
1: And that was my question: How do you get the? I want to say something crude, but I won't. I'll say courage instead of <laughs> the other thing. How do you get yeah. the courage, man? So you, you know, you're you're You've never bought a small business before. You've got a successful career. You've been doing it for 20 years. I'm sure there are a ton of people that are going to listen to this that are in exactly that situation. You you walk in with very little resources into a business that you don't know a ton of, ton about. Everything's on fire. And you're yeah. like, I'm going to buy this and figure it out. Like, where does that courage come from? And is, that, is exactly. that even, like, for the average person, is that even a good idea?
0: Well, I don't know if it's a good idea, but that's a whole other story. So, <laughs> yeah. There's... There's, there's two parts of that I would say. One, running a widget is running a widget. That's what I learned in corporate. It didn't matter whether it was thermostats or a wind turbine or electric vehicle charging or a breaker that goes in a residential house. It, it's still a product that has to get made and sold. So you still need to have what we always talk about, the same exact things at CaneCast. You have to make sure your employees are safe, and then after that, take care of your customer. And once you do that, build a quality product and deliver it on time. Nothing changes. That's kind of universally what you need to do in your organization. So applying that somewhere else, I actually wasn't that worried about. But it was partly because I ran into a really shitty boss that I had to get away from. That was part of it. And that was like the last step to push me out. But it was it was almost physically painful to go to work. It was I hated it mentally, physically. Everything about going there, every single day I had to step back into that place was terrible. So it wasn't that I was real confident in what I was going to do. I was just unbelievably confident that I didn't want to go back to where I came from.
1: So the first 18 months you buy the business, you're running a foundry, you've left corporate, like talk about the, and how old were you at that point? Thir-
0: 37.
1: 37. So you're yeah. not young. Right? Oh, like we, thanks Eric. I'm 36. Oh, so nice. oh, all the jokes oh, are coming to fruition. Oh, you oh, yeah. know, no, 15 years ago. <laughs> right? yeah, wow. you know, the point being is you're, you're mid-career, right? Like, Habits are ingrained. Expectations are ingrained. You're, you're working for GE, so you're probably getting some pretty nice lunches and travel and whatever else. It's, it's relatively.
2: He still gets cushy. pretty nice lunches.
1: He gets good. Well, now he, oh, he does. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> scrap all that. You're like, I'm going <laughs> to buy a small Thanks I get good lunches. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks to Josh. So you you throw all that out the window, and now you're adjusting to life as a small business owner. Man, what was yeah. that first eighteen to twenty four months like? And you know, yeah, so I mean,
0: it comes back to the resources again that's the hard part or the interesting part, depending on you want to look at it and you have to do everything. And if you don't figure out how to do everything, then you'll never understand it. Even to this day, like I don't operate the day to day. I'm really hoping we start to talk to Josh pretty soon because uh, he gets into how we actually run the company, but we don't, we don't have to at this point in time, worry about in doing all the things we, you have to get through that first 18 to 24 months. If you don't, you're gonna have a really hard time being able to scale and hire people. So, you know, we've kinda of gone through, it was just figuring out how to learn what the ups and downs were. What, you know, what does order patterns look like? What does it take to fix equipment? You know, it, things that would quite literally ended up putting me on the fetal position, Tuesday, Wednesdays, nights type things, <clears throat> would be a random Tuesday afternoon. Now I wouldn't even think about it. We. Josh wouldn't probably even tell me or shouldn't say probably. He definitely wouldn't because I don't need to worry about it no anymore. But you got to grind it out so much in the beginning and do it yourself. And then once you start to scale and grow, you depending on the types of companies you buy, you'd have to get over the working capital aspect and or whatever you need to expand, sales, acquisitions, however you get there. And then as you continue to build and grow, then you need to figure out how you put money aside where you don't get on kind of that hedonic treadmill where you just continue to put money back into your business and your people and let that compound and wait to see a a better day, you know, five years, seven years, 10 years down the line.
1: So, so you do the first 24 months. It's a grind. You figure out small business ownership. How long did it take you before you hired Josh?
0: Almost five years in. Yeah, but you hired somebody else. Yeah. So, I mean, it, could never have afforded the quality of what we needed out of Josh. I mean, we literally wouldn't have been complex enough. I don't mean even if we could afford the money, just the job would not have been interesting. And so quick version of it, spent 18 months doing nothing but running the business, six months kind of realizing, okay, there's some holes that we need in the organization that we have to go fill. And then another, and realizing that I could do that through acquisitions. And so each time, and we've talked about this a little bit, I used to think of that a third, a third, a third, where we'd go buy the next business. We were allowed to buy businesses to help us solve customer concentration. It really helped us with what our customers looked at as risk from us, key man risk, all those. The more we bought, the better it gets. The more we buy, the more diversified it gets. And as long as you're not continuing to take money out, you know that's where. You know, thirty months. Well, about thirty months in, we hired our first executive. Another. So then as we bought each one of them, we brought in another executive. And at this point in time, Josh started two years ago to really be able to turn over 100% of the day-to-day where I focus on inorganic growth. Josh focuses on everything inside of the organization day-to-day to the point where when we buy a business, the one we bought in April, I don't even talk to the employees anymore. That's Josh you know, as partners in his business, he jumps up and talks to all the employees. And then there's no confusion from day one that it doesn't matter who I am. I'm the outside the company and Josh is inside the company.
3: Well, and how much of that timeline is driven? If you're talking to a first time searcher, that's making a, a pivot in their career in terms of industry, right? You weren't a manufacturing specialist and foundries and things like that. How much of that timeline is driven by the need to learn the actual kind of on-the-ground operations of what Foundry is, what, you know, operating the machines, the actual manufacturing process, the core business itself, before you're ready to be able to move into that more executive role and start moving the operations back over, is that, did that play into that timeline? In retrospect, do you wish you would have just gone quicker to additional operators and just spent more time in your core skill set of business or, or talk through that?
0: So... I think it's going to be a little bit different. Foundries look really, really simple on the surface, and you can get to 80% understanding relatively quickly. Josh can talk through that because he's he came in much more outside of specifically like the engineering side that I brought to it and seen a bunch of different. So I'll let him talk to specifically the complexity I, it's really easy to understand to the 80% and to understand more than customers, clients, whatever, to get to be an expert and the people that are actually operating it day to day, there's people that spend 40 years doing it. So what I normally tell people is get enough to have a working knowledge. You know, it's what, going back to this, be able to call bullshit thing where you say, Hey, this is, that's not the way it is. This is the way it is. Or you can sound intelligent enough to know, And I say, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So then call the right people in where, hey, that's over my knowledge. I'll get the engineer involved. Or, hey, that's an operations question. So I came in with a lot of the base manufacturing and operations knowledge. I did that for multiple years in corporate. So I didn't, that I didn't have to learn. If you came in, let's say as a banker, I'm just using an example where you'd never seen manufacturing, you'd never been introduced to lean, you don't understand some of those basic principles of operations management, ordering, selling that. I can see where it'd take a lot longer. I didn't need that. For us, it was mainly, I could tweak a few things, but I had to go grow the business. So even when I started, I was in there and I learned the basics of it, but in 18 months, that was plenty of time to learn enough of what I needed to do. It was way more about learning the ups and downs of Oh, when a customer doesn't order this month, it's not like they're disappearing. It means they might have ordered a little too much and now they're sitting on six or eight weeks of inventory. Or, hey, this is their seasonality. This and so that that's a lot more of what it took for me personally. But I can see if you're not in the space why it would be twenty four or thirty months, whatever it might be.
1: Let's it's, let's it's come back to that because I want to talk. I think it'd be fun to talk about what you guys think it takes to be successful as a small business operator you know in in the medium term and long term but let's bring in Josh cuz you guys pulled off i think what a lot of people listening to this would like to 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 pull off which is you buy a business you operate for a couple of years and then you go out and you hire a crazy person who's amazing at operations to, t- to take over and spearhead the day-to-day operations of the business. Is the crazy person part a necessary
3: component? Well, I meant that mean, as a, a, I mean, right. a company. He,
1: he strikes me as like a mad scientist when it comes to ops, but I'll let him speak for himself. So Josh, tell us your background and then how you got introduced to, jo- to, to Reg and kind of the transition into the role and what, it, what it's like dealing with somebody who's bought a business is the boss and now you got to
2: yeah. to take over absolutely my background was about 5 6 years in finance asset management and trading new york city and then upstate new york is where i'm from and ended up back during 2008 just was basically it was like i was gonna be fighting a generational consolidation of an industry and so i was like i'm going to get out and my dad sold fasteners so i went up and said you know he asked me to work with him and i said no my whole life like most uncool job in the world is like the job your dad has usually especially when it's when it's not glamorous and so But I ended up going in and ended up loving it. I ended up loving solving all the problems that he was talking about, ordering the psychology of dealing with customers, the negotiating with vendors, the small wins, the large wins, the big quotes, inventory management, the data science of it, the analytics. Like no matter what my hobbies were, there was a place to play with it in small business. I loved it. And so I started my own business and grew that. Started one in Mexico Mm -hmm. and grew that. Really enjoyed it. And then we sold it in 2019. And so... I did not know about the ETA. I probably would have bought it off of them if I knew this whole world existed. I knew small business ops, but I didn't know acquisition or I just knew I didn't have the money. And so I guess I can't buy it. Started talking about it online during COVID. Just was more just the way you write. You think more clearly. And I started kind of writing it out and met a bunch of people. And (laughs) Reg was one of the few people who started commenting that I could tell new manufacturing. Just the stuff he would call out was stuff other people didn't notice. And so we started talking like a little bit offline and he ended up asking me to help him fix a problem. And I said, I'm I'm done fixing people's problems. I'm not consulting anymore. And then he's like, well, I still think you should come on up. And I went up and I basically met, uh, I joke with him, somebody like my dad. So my dad and I were partners for, for eight years in one of the businesses. He fills gaps that I have. And I saw somebody like that in Reg and I knew partner with somebody like Reg, I could do 10x what I could do on my own. And so basically said, all right, I'm, I'm all in, let's do this. And we talked about higher level stuff, vision, nothing small. And he had all the same things. Like I care about people. I want to make sure they're paid before we get paid. I care about long-term. I want to make 50-year decisions. I don't want this managing to the month thing. And he sent me some papers that he had written two years earlier, like way ahead of you, dude. I'm already thinking about this. And so I said, okay, as long as we're on the same page, big picture, we'll hash out the details he said, you want me to send you a contract? I said, nope, let's just do this for fun. We shook hands, and we've been having uh, a riot ever since. Yeah. So
1: you guys have been at it for how long now?
2: A little over two years. Two years. How many
1: integrators? So I'm a, I'm a business buyer. I want to do what Reg is done. I want to find somebody like you. Where do I find you? How many of you exist? How many of you are out there that don't otherwise want to buy a business? You prefer to partner with somebody like Reg?
3: Can I answer this for you, Josh? Yeah. There is one of a kind. There is no other. To the... <laughs> well, and,
1: uh, you know, obviously different to makes no, and I'm models, just, but you know I'm what I mean? The, say, yeah, inter- I the classic visionary versus integrator. Yeah. You strike me as, you know, Reg, you're an engineer by training. So obviously you've got an integrator's brain, but you strike me as somebody who's got a visionary's heart. You know, you want to build and scale and yeah.
2: manage yeah, the big picture.
0: I can't operate. This is literally why Josh is, yeah, he's the expert at this for sure.
2: M- my take. There's a lot of them out there. I think the thing that's rarer is not the mindset, the approach, or the knowledge. It's the self-awareness. I started a business in Mexico, and it was one of the toughest things I did. And I did so many things wrong. And that's very similar to that like buying a business, that deal flow and the managing of it. I don't like it. I know, I, I know there are people that are 10 times better at it than me. And, and so to understand what I'm not good at and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be, I say, the zero to one guy. It's just not what I'm good at. And it's like this thing, you know, you can do anything. So people are like, oh, I want to be the visionary. It seems to be the sexiest. And yeah, you can do it, but you would do so much better if you would get rid of the things that you are not excellent at. And so like I've done acquisitions, I did them for multi $100 million company, but I'm nowhere near as good as, as Reg is. And so getting rid of those things that you can do, but are not excellent at, and then focusing like I'm going to nail this excellent thing and then find somebody else who's excellent at the missing piece. I just don't think anybody's going to be able to do what Reg and I are doing, not from a knowledge standpoint, but just from a passion, energy, and, a, and willingness to say, we can't do this. Um, and we have other gaps that we're looking for other people, right? And so I just think that's, I think just that self-awareness is really our, our secret weapon. Well,
3: and an, as an operator, how, how do you, particularly for someone early in the journey, maybe a first-time buyer or someone, you know, scaling a small company... How do you know or identify the right point where you start to offload some of that? Like, I got to be the jack of all trades. I got to do everything, keep costs low, et cetera, versus starting to say, like, okay, accounting and finance is not my strong suit. It's time to start out, outsourcing that. Um, asking
1: for a friend, Kevin. Is that's that one of those that's, is,
2: that's right. I'm definitely asking for a friend. I mean, if you're asking, it's probably time, right? Uh, that's, I think, as long as you feel like you have it all. You should be doing it. One, you need to understand where everything's at. And two, you know, people like Reg's case, you got a PG. You got, you're the only one who's going to be motivated enough and ambitious enough to get the job done. But there comes a point where the customers keep coming back. They know what to expect. Like they're used to the business. And I say it's, it's like level one stabilized at that point, And they start saying like, you know what? I can't build the bookkeeping function that I have in my mind, or I can't build the sales function that I have in my mind. Just the fact that you're saying that means get somebody to help you build it. You know, you still have the vision. Just share what that ideal situation looks like. So I think for, for Reg, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was multiple locations. I think that's where it went from, okay, I can be in the plant and make things happen. How do I make things happen when it's bigger? That's a lot more energy. That's going to take away from my M&A acquisition plan. And I think that's where you started to go out and look for, for an operator.
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of pieces. So that's 100% right. Where we started to add additional areas. but I mentioned this briefly before, when we realized that we could do, there's two huge advantages to multiple locations. One, we talked about it before, is we actually obviously diversify a bunch of different stuff that helps with both our customers, because they know we're going to continue to grow. You know, big customers, they care that we can have multiple facilities. So They're, you know, 80 or 90% of their stuff is overseas. In our case, maybe 10 or 20% is in the U.S. They would much rather give us 100% of the business and not have to deal with two or three. Once we got to multiple facilities, we could do that. And then the other part of that is we were able to acquire capital equipment with cash flow through our acquisitions and bolt on and help us. So that those two parts meant the faster that I could go outside and not deal with the internal day to day. That was why I wanted to do it as fast as I could. And I think one other thing, going back to the last question on this, the big issue for me, and Josh mentioned this, of having the proper level of ego or lack thereof, depending on what you want to say, of saying, I have someone, I'm not as good at this. I am not as good at Josh operating. Josh, you know, when he comes to like going to buy, this is the conversation Josh and I had of, I want to go buy businesses, tack on, that's what I'm, what I love doing when I wake up in the morning and it also helps the company. I'm a detractor and I have to be okay with that. That also means that I have to trust Josh to run everything as well. Right. When he came on before I even knew him, I was like, Hey, this is going to be you. Like I'll catch, I'll check in and I'll do whatever, but you got to be able to sink or swim as fast as you can. So it's not even like, you also have to be mentally okay with the fact that you've got a PG signed and you've got to turn the company over and trust someone to go do it. Because if not, Why bring someone in to do that, right? Why would I bring a great operator like Josh on board two years ago and then be in his business the whole time? It makes absolutely no sense. So there's a maturity, I think, partly of understanding the business, but then also making sure that you get to the point where you really want or are able to turn over the business and be okay with it and truly let them make decisions.
1: How do you get comfortable with that? That feels hard to me, right? But Particularly, you got a personal guarantee on millions of dollars of debt and you got to say hey take the keys and i'm gonna let you drive like that's yeah and i is it about being the right person is it about work that you had to do on your end like what's the yeah.
0: yeah so i would say there's a couple of aspects of that one i learned in corporate you can't there's no way to scale a company and micromanage it just is impossible but maybe you can if you're like elon musk and You can work 22 hour days for 17 years on end, but I prefer not to do that. So it was just something that I learned. The more I would give away and the more I would trust people and empower people, the better they would do. And the people that couldn't, we'd replace them and find something better. I mean, that's part of it. So it's partly just something that I got to learn on somebody else's dime. And then ultimately, it's definitely a maturity thing. Could I have done this 15 years ago and gotten comfortable enough? I'm not sure uh probably would have been scared to death even more of the the p g but the other side of it, you know I'll tag on one little piece of that as well, but in order to do that, it just i think of it as tuition. I talk about it all the time. I made way bigger problems or I made way worse decisions, and it cost a lot more intuition to the tune of literally seven figures on some mistakes that I made inside of our small business, so if. Yeah one of our people doesn't matter whether it's josh or a plant manager or anybody else i tell these guys all the time you have to be okay with it we're just paying tuition for somebody to learn and it's great we'll pay tuition once we'll probably pay it twice but if we pay it three or four times then we definitely need to go that's on us some something's broken there but you gotta let people learn there's no other way around it
1: we paid a lot of tuition kevin we, we have too much tuition both law between law school and this little. This oh, little we're talking experience. actual. Tuition. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we're
0: tuitioned out. This is real it's life. Out. This is like the, the mean streets. <laughs> tuition. This is not the Michigan and Duke we, mean streets. Tuition.
1: Well, I was going to. F-
0: yeah. After reg kind of
3: broke down all the ways that josh is a better operator than him i wanted to kick it over to you eric and have you talk for a minute on all the things i do better no, That's gonna i was
2: going
1: to provide some i think it's fun actually the way that this works and, and i don't know if it's true to a full extent but kevin and i's relationship by serendipity happened to be i don't know that i would call you an operator per se entirely i mean i wouldn't but yeah he's so we, we took josh a, is over there like <laughs> yeah, josh, literally josh is like, i'm the only operator you know I mean? <laughs> and if anybody's integrating anything it's, it's cool. me okay i set all the tech up and we took a culture index when we started our loft you guys
2: yeah where'd you guys index. fall
1: well so it, it was a, and i didn't buy any of this stuff myers briggs whatever entj i don't know maybe it's true maybe oh, dude, it's not the, the shit no, that
3: so eric not. and sam gave me when i suggested they fill out this survey after i saw some. i Sorry, dude, if you're listening, because I am spacing on the name. But after I saw him present at Co
2: conference,
1: oh, he was great. I yeah. could hear I could All hear yeah. the eye
2: rolls in Dallas from Florida from these two. Yeah, I wasn't expecting much. I was really surprised, even more surprised when I talked to the guy at Culture, and he broke it down and he literally described me to a T to without a T. ever even knowing me. And it's I was scary.
1: Like, wow, it's scary. Yeah. So we we lined up. It was me, Kevin, and Sam at the time. We just launched the firm, and they I mean they dissected us. And by the end, I felt like I needed this. Are we allowed to, to, say to say live how Sam described? It? I'm, I'm kidding. Well, I'm I mean, all, <laughs> all of us, like, I learned a lot about you guys. I learned. I honestly crystallized some things about myself that I didn't realize. You know, he got to the end, and with me, I was so I was a rainmaker. You were a tinkerer, and Sam was whatever the accountant is. Sam was
2: the <laughs> <laughs> so no no trailblazers or uh, no daredevils or anything. Nope.
1: Yeah. None of those, but it was, I think it was perfectly characterized and incredibly helpful. And so we have a similar relationship, although I wouldn't say Kevin is a pure play operator. He's more of a tinkerer. He loves tech. He loves integrating things into the website. He's kind of good at everything, you know? So it creates a similar dynamic. And I think we got really lucky in that sense. Yeah. You guys, on the other hand, when you met each other, you know, the question I think that a lot of people listening are going to have is. I could probably go find, well, I think it's harder to find an operator than it is to find a visionary. I think particularly in our little circle, a lot of visionaries, there's very few people who are self-selecting to be operators. I, yeah,
2: I, was, I disagree. I think more people are like me. I think Reg is actually the odd one. I have known lots of businesses, big, small departments, and business in a lot of manufacturing, multiple countries. I've met maybe five people like Reg, my dad being one of them. I think that's the more rare breed and we can get into what that is. But I think there's a lot of operators out there pretending to be visionaries. That's what I think it is. And they're, like you said, self-selecting. They're self-selecting to be visionaries. It's cool. It's at the top. Multiple this, multiple that. It's the sexy thing on Twitter for the last two to three years. I think. I, but I, I bet if you look at and talk to most of those people, they're operators. They're in the middle of their business day to day. They're building them. They're thinking about it the right way, but they, yeah. are, they are not. not they call it like, like resource social. acquisition that's what reg is good at He's good at a lot of things but one of the things he's good at is like there's an empty space and ether of all these resources and different things pointing all different ways and you can look at it and be like nah this this is the best way and we're gonna use these six resources to do that i say putting a putting a dot like in the ether like that's a that's a unique skill set he also has an aggressiveness to him so uh i've been rocking him literally for the last three days so this is not normally how i talk about red um exactly (laughs) this is the nicest thing josh ever said about (laughs) But, I'm um, glad this is both recording and live stream. <laughs> yeah. We're going to slice that clip up for yeah. you, Reg.
1: So wait, just to close the loop, what was your, what was your culture index?
2: I was an enterpriser. enterpriser. I was at like the, the right end of the top, and he's way at the left end. He's Daredevil. So and that's, I, it's, Daredevil's it's Daredevil is beyond Rainmaker? It's, it goes
0: this way straight across, like it's high autonomy super low conformity just so you other. want to fix so your
1: own way and you're yeah, thinking so literally the person,
0: when they talked about me he said this is the type of person who if there's not a problem he'll create one so yeah that's pretty. Accurate.
1: i
3: just i just pulled up our results so sam was a technical expert yes which yep. is a which is a fitting kind of left hand yep. kind of a, a c eric was a rainmaker which was sort of a modified backwards c and then i was a craftsman was was technically oh, mine.
1: i said tinker yeah
3: what's the difference i don't remember what uh, tinkerer is but
2: yeah, no. so but anyway. and what's interesting <laughs> is and i don't know those ones i know ours well an enterpriser is a far less extreme version of daredevil so the, yeah. they're they're both low conformity they're both high autonomy but high aut- autonomy off the charts with reg and conformity you know off the charts the other direction is what daredevil is which I think is important because, as Reg always says, we're the, what is it, the coin phrase you always talk about? Same side of a different coin yeah. or whatever. That, Opposite
0: side of the
3: same yeah. coin? There you go.
2: So we, but we, we have, like, think of it as a Venn diagram. We have a place where we can communicate, right? We yeah. have some, some similarities, and that helps him. I, I see what he's talking about, and I say, okay, I see what you're trying to do, and then I can go into my own circle and, and get it done. But I think having that overlap or that communication piece is super helpful for us it's not just constantly him saying things and i'm not getting it and then i'm running my own direction and he's wondering why i didn't hear him and i see that a lot i saw it just two weeks ago at a company i was at just people that are so far apart so i think that there's something to that um overlap
0: okay yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the one other thing and this is not i don't think people think about this quite long enough is what I thought about when we were assembling Kanecast is that I wanted people to be absolute subject matter experts and they wanted to do the specific job we hired them for. So I would see this all the time in corporate where people would be bounced around and they really wanted to be the CEO, but they were the CFO or whatever, pick it, right? So what I wanted to find when we started putting this together was Josh is amazing. Like Josh, but Josh and I will never cross. We talk all the time, literally on a daily basis, most of the time. And we communicate, but we don't step on each other's toes. Like I want to do the highest, best possible job that I can have is exactly what I have now. Josh feels a lot the same way. Our CTO, he should feel the same way. Like he, the CTO doesn't want to be the CEO. Our director of ops will eventually probably be our CEO, but you know, he doesn't want to be the CEO either. And I think there's a huge part of that because then people are able to focus and be like, this is my lane. I don't want your lane. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. I'm here to support and help. But you're, yeah, exactly. Like our ultimate, like we want to continue, not just be great at now foundries, soon to be a lot of different industries throughout manufacturing. But we also want to be, you know, I want to be the best that I can be at strategy and M&A. Josh wants to do the same thing you know, his organic growth, uh, CTO the same way. So we have a reason to exist. So we have a knowledge, but also a reason to continue to get better and better at our own craft.
1: So yeah, for the people who are listening, I've, you know, hypothetically, I bought a business. I've been running it for two or three years now. Things are going well. I'm past the fetal position stage. I feel like I've kind of got things figured out. The core oh my, business. By the way,
0: you will not. Is there, is there, there no? Don't is tell that's me that. Is
1: still randomly? Like that just it's came not, up like a month ago. Josh, uh, I told me something. I almost... Yeah, I've been referencing me, 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 this honest. in our, like, internal meetings, Reg, just so you know, I've been telling the guys, like, we're coming up on the 18-month, like, hang in there. So, like, don't tell me that. That's not <laughs> It'll still way. randomly no, come reason, reason, Let's keep it simple. I mean, it like There's six and a half years, years. After in. 18 months, it's all of rainbows and If anyone's anything.
3: interested in buying a law firm, I'm yeah, sure. just kidding. Just <laughs> kidding. <Except laughs> the the price, the price be With the 5% low. No payment
0: and <laughs> exactly. tell me a realtor and now it's available I'm here, bro. But
1: so okay so i've been running the business for three years i feel like i've got the core business figured out i'm past the scary part i want to go find my josh tell me guys concretely how what your what what process would you run to not only find that operator but make sure he's good or she's good and that they're the right fit
0: all right, all right i'll i will tell you josh and i are going to give you totally different answers on this because I'm one of those people who meets someone and very, very quickly makes a decision. I have no problem pivoting if it's wrong, but I do that almost to a fault just because I have this general perspective, like when I met Josh of like, here's what I need, this type of a role, someone that's going to take it. We talked about the things that I needed to cover and there wasn't, like he gave me a bunch of references and then he told me I'm like, yeah, people give references that are normally bullshit. There's no way I'm wasting my time. And he actually gave me references that would have said good and bad things about him, allegedly, but I don't know because I wasn't going to call him anyway. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Now you have guys like, well, Josh's process is probably halfway in between like what I would be and Girdley would be. But, you know, it's just, it's partly personality, you know, go back to that daredevil a little bit. So the process is once you figure, in my mind, once you figure out that you're ready to do this and you're willing to take someone on, whether that be that money, but then you're willing to also empower them and give up control, then it's really about figuring out what you really need and talking through it. And I was very upfront with Josh, and I said, hey, this is gonna be the way it is. I'm going to spend a lot more time golfing, skiing, drinking with people and happy hours like we're doing in a few hours here, but that's part of my role. And I needed him to be able to, to shield me from that. I got out all the major things that I could, and beyond that, he fit the criteria of what I wanted, and I was ready to go within hours, practically. Um, now, that's completely different than what Josh will probably tell you, so I'm going to yeah, let yeah. him.
2: Well, the similarity is I gave him a list of three things that are non-negotiable for me. And I said, if these three are okay with you. And it's similar to him saying I'm gonna ski and golf, I said, I don't I don't work eight at five. Like, do not call me and what ask me why I'm not sitting at my computer at three, because I sometimes pull all nighters and then I'm gonna sleep in. Like I just I work, 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 and sometimes I step away from the computer. So freedom of time and I had, you know, money's important to me. I wanna I wanna have a financial scoreboard that I know if I'm doing well, it's a feedback machine for me. So yeah, we had the discussion, but like for for me, uh the the funny thing is. I We talked, we hung out in Minneapolis for what, like two, three days, right? Flew up there to to meet him and hang out and went out to eat and just kind of hung out, explored the area a bit. And then afterwards, I wrote him a three-page paper with these bullet points and what we could do with the company and where we would start and how long it would take. And he calls me. He goes, Yeah, I don't know why you're writing me this Google Doc. He goes, I don't, maybe I wasn't clear. I already want you to work for me. You just tell me yeah. if you're okay with it. So, Come like, on. that's just like my ops approach There's of like bullet points or whatever. He's like, good. Oh, no, this is uh, done. Right this, nice. this has already been done. I'd like to formalize
0: <laughs> this. I'd like to talk about it. I'm like, I'm good, bro. Yeah. you good? You're like, good. I'm right. already skiing, actually.
2: Are you not there?
0: I'm sorry, I'm a yeah, wrecking Why are you sending me this? Sounds like the origination story of a law firm.
1: Let me double, let's double click on that, guys because you guys have done something that a lot of people are looking at and they admire, which is you, you are a visionary or a daredevil, and you found a good operator run your business. T- tell me how you'd run this process today. If you were a, you know, three years into a business, you're starting over from scratch, what process would you run to find the right operator for
2: your business? If it was me, I would use Culture Index to weed out, and I would basically look for high autonomy, low conformity. I think High autonomy, low Yeah, you want somebody who's going to get in there and try to fix it. And who's not just going to follow some system like an EOS system that's already done. Like EOS is great, but it's never going to build a world-class business. It's going to, it's going to prevent you from crashing basically. So if you got nothing, EOS is great, but you need somebody who's not afraid to break some rules. You don't want off the charts, you know, breaking conformity like him. Then you're just going to be literally winging it and it's not going to be what you want. So I would use culture index to remove the ones that aren't worth talking to. And then once you find the ones that are worth talking to, Say, hey, you know what? Why don't you spend a day with me? And then what you're looking for is where do they take like anybody who has high ambition and who's going to do a good job has built something, whether it's a Lego set or a department or a sales growth goal, like maybe they never ran a company, but you just can't have that that, you know, drive in you and not have done something by the age of even 20. So I would be like, you know, what have you started or built or grown or just obsessed over? Those are the questions you obsess over stuff. Then great. That means you can obsess over this operation. I would use culture index to weed out the bad ones and then find somebody who's a bit obsessive driven and has built something and grown something.
0: Yeah, not following that conformity thing is huge just because especially if you're gonna be a small business, there are some that you can more or less just follow the playbook. You know, it is not going to be something where like what we're building right now, we're completely changing an industry. You can't bring people in that are going to say, oh, I wanna do this the way we've always done it or the way the industry's always done it you need to have someone who is you know beyond curious but doesn't conform and is willing to go find the things that you can go do differently so i mean Josh can talk about like okay, a tech stack and the way some of our processes and a bunch of the stuff we're doing now <clears throat> but it's totally different than everybody else in our industry and it's totally different than essentially everybody else in small business manufacturing you know we have yeah world-class systems we take 10 20 30 percent cost structure out of things when we do it the way we run it everything's readily accessible and again had we just done what everybody else did or what all the consultants told us to do we would not be anywhere near where we are right now so there's a there's a part of pushing through those and then there's also a part of that they really are willing to spend the time to go want to create something that's world-class
3: Yeah. So that's interesting to me because I was just looking back at our culture index results. and, And interestingly... Eric, we should, we should have culture index on the podcast soon fo- follow this We stuff. should, I, we should. I mean, we're it's getting, super, we should
1: probably we're getting free stuff across our business also.
0: We're getting free stuff out of this, right? I mean, no, no free ads or something as though. This is guys. costing Kevin land
1: 3000 <laughs> bucks. So we're yeah. we're, we're going to get to the free You're ad normal.
0: spots here in a
3: se- here in a second. <laughs> I'm getting a cease and the from Like almost every major
1: pizza, pizza chain in North
3: America. It's <laughs> super interesting to me though. And, and probably a great like discussion point for where we are in our own business and what we're building. Cause I'm, I'm probably more like, I'm not the operations person, but I'm probably more in the operations I would say. But if you look at my, the, the craftsman traits, the, the way the craftsman looks on here is low on everything except conformity, which is the highest it's out to the right. Which is is kind of fascinating to hear what you're saying, that you really actually want high autonomy, low conformity. I'm pretty sure that means you're out, Kevin. So you should keep that. So so
2: (laughs) we'll run this in real time and we'll find Kevin's replacement. There's any partnership (laughs) litigators listening to this podcast. it It
1: makes some sense because Kevin is very like corporate, right? Like to an extent, in that you cannot. Delegate. You cannot. Nobody in push corporate back. makes
3: swag like this, bro. Well,
1: that's I'm true, sure. and sure. that's probably the wrong way. That's a that's. Pro- I didn't mean that as a pejorative. I mean that Kevin will work endlessly without pushback and without complaining. He would be an amazing person to have in your corporate chart. Don't hire him. He's not for sale. But, but we should we, we should, probably should probably do culture index across the the, the business, and we should probably we should see what Wonder can. Back there, scores in culture index. We might have to throw him overboard. <laughs> Our chief of staff is in the background, uh, David, two T's SMB on Twitter. Uh, oh,
3: we are plugging everybody uh, today.
1: But what would you guys tell somebody? So I'm three years into running a business, but I can't afford a high-end operator.
0: Tough shit. You're not going to hire them. Then
1: you're not. Then you're just SOL. Well, there's no project-based you way. You got to that- get a
0: better company. Build your company. Put more money in the bottom line. You can't, you can't put your company at risk. It means you're not doing something right. You're not ready for that. I mean, it, the biggest thing to say about that, though, is people misunderstand when they can and can't afford something. It really depends. I mean, if you're going to take that risk, I think you have to first define. But if you're saying, hey, I need to pay somebody, pick a number. I don't care. I'll make it up $100,000, but I only make $80,000 a year. just can't do it. Like You got to go grow. So you got to go figure out the levers to pull. So go solve either your top line or your middle drop more money to the bottom line or take less money yourself or whatever it is to go solve that. But yeah, there's no shortcut. That's just, that's the hard work you have to put in or else you can't do it.
1: Let's Thoughts? yeah. You got, I got, um, I got nothing yeah, on that.
0: Know. Yeah. This is, do the hard we, work here. We, Come on.
2: We talk, we talk, I mean, to be fair,
0: so this is, but this is actually a good question or a good, Josh can talk through this a little bit because he goes through, we talk all the time about resources we want to add. And we are adding a lot of resources. We've added a lot, a lot of overhead in the last, two years so he can walk through this but we talked through so you want to just talk about the cash flow model and how we think about it and all that that's cash flow model cash-
2: like the roi and- well, all
0: that. i mean yes yeah. yeah, so i'm just saying how we look at the cash flow roi yeah. adding heads yeah. not adding heads equipment oh yeah how yeah. we think so- through all that's just-
2: so yeah, well, the flywheel is kind of Eric's thing. favorite combo. There's three big things we can change in our business. There's square footage. We, there's people, and there's- are we about to talk about pizza corporations? Let, <laughs> let's, let's
1: pause for a <laughs> second. You mentioned passion earlier. You know, you interview a, an operator. You're looking for that passion. You cannot fake passion, and it's it's really cool when you see somebody who's passionate. And that I saw that in you in your speech. And you, oh, you breaking down, and it's it, and it's exciting. So. You know, it's interesting. I don't know how you can interview for passion, but I feel like that's
2: such an important
1: point. And I see specific people in our space. There's people
2: you talk to. And if if you talk about the right topic, they light up. Uh, I saw it at uh, at Main Street. There was a couple people I talked to. A lot of people were just like run of the mill, but there was a few people that were talking about mundane things, but they were just lit up. And you're like, you really care about this.
3: Well, I I think, and I know this at this point, is sounding like an extended advertisement for Culture Index, and we should probably (laughs) start a franchise. But- but I think that's part of the purpose of using and, and even if you don't use culture index, but using something like that yeah. is is the high quality ones are intended to strip away when you're able to try and mask some of those things yeah, like yeah. passion or, or, you know, how much of a, you know, whatever conformist you are, et cetera. And it's it's yeah. it's
2: supposed to strip that back and make it harder to hide. Yeah. And that was a, that was a talk Reg and I had. So he won't he doesn't think so what I do at its core. As I think about things that are happening. I generalize them enough where they apply in multiple scenarios and then I create a framework around it. Like at its core, that's how you build ops. That's how you do a lot of things. That's just how my brain works. My brain, I, I have a hard time operating in an environment that doesn't have a core set of rules. And so I'm constantly creating those rules for myself by looking at something happening. So I, I think you look at this passion thing. Well, you know, Reg just did whatever he did. But when he was talking to me, I told him like, I want to get up and think about one thing all day on my runs, and my showers, and then I want to go to bed. And that one thing that I want to think about, whether you give it to me or I go get it on my own, is building a better business. And I want that business to get 1% better every week. And I just want to think of the next comp, like to me, that is the coolest, sexiest idea, that you have this machine that is rolling, it's getting customers, it's performing services, it's selling, it's it's tracking that finance, it's giving that feedback back to those two machines, and then doing it again. That is the coolest thing ever, right? So you do that. And then you think about, how do I make this a little better? How do I get one extra customer a year? How do I decrease my cost just a little bit? And you do that over and over and over. That's all I want to do. That's all I want to think about. Like the M&A for me was a means to get it so that I could do that. And when he heard that, he said, well, that's funny. Because that's the one part I want nothing to do with. I'll do the M&A. And I'll basically plug on to what you want to do. And for me, I'm thinking, well, that's great. You'll do the m and I'm going to plug on to what you're going to do. And we're both happy. But yeah, for me, that that idea of a machine that you are tinkering with is amazing to me. So yeah, the, the passion is I want to build the best world-class machine. We're nowhere close to being there, but that pursuit is what gets me excited every day. And so when I get in the doldrums or we've got an issue at CaneCast or I'm getting ground down, I go away for two days and I just redream of what the ideal Kanecast looks like. And I usually call, I usually go somewhere where there's no reception. And right when I get reception after being gone for two to three days, first person I call is Reg. And I'm like, dude, I am so excited, and I start I, telling I him all love the ideas. To be
1: a fly on the wall for those <laughs> conversations. <laughs> <laughs> he just shouted, "Reg just uh, yeah. the phone <laughs> out from his ear." Like...
2: So yeah, so yeah, that's the that's the passion, and 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 I don't think you can hide it. I don't think you have to dig for it. I think, I think getting somebody to be honest, and that's maybe to Regis' credit, got me in a position where I was comfortable just telling him how I viewed stuff, and. That was how he was able to determine. So we didn't have an interview. We didn't sit in chairs and look at each other. He picked me up uh, at the airport, went to a brewery, went to a restaurant on the lake. We sat, talked about family, talked about dreams, talked about all this stuff. And in that, he probably got the couple of things he was looking forward to know if I was the right person or not. Well, it, it,
1: so this reminds me of one of your favorite expressions that I love, which is, if it's not a hell yeah, it's a hell no. Yeah. And I feel like when you listen to Josh talk about ops, you'd sit down in that interview and you'd be like... Hell yeah, I'm pulling this guy in.
0: Like yeah, there's not. Yeah, there's no interview per se, but it, well, you know what I mean. Yeah, but it's just a conversation to figure out how to get there. Yeah, 100%. You can't not be Josh's passion for ops is infectious, and that's awesome because that makes me want to go find the tallest building to go jump off of. So <laughs> I'm substantially better. It's,
1: it's unusual. So let's switch gears for, for one second. We can round out on this point or we can keep talking i'll do this all night i don't care but this may be a good place to, to kind of conclude which is you for all intents and purposes reggie it looks like from smb you've made it you built the company you bought the businesses you laugh right but yeah. i'm talking about the perception outside looking in. you've bought sure. multiple businesses you've plugged in an operator you're making a good living you're flying all over the country having a, what looks like i assume you're having a ton of fun you're to all the events it looks like an, a glamorous lifestyle I suspect that's not the way you're going to characterize it. So tell us what it's like once you get to that point. Um, What's the reality now for you?
0: (laughs) So I haven't talked about this really at all. I I told these guys internally, turning it over, especially after you've built that up and still have the PG, whatever else it is, I now have even more responsibility in many regards because there's a lot bigger PG, but there's a lot more employees. There's a lot, you know, it's not just, blue collar folks, for instance, that are working for me. Now there's a ton of people that have left great white collar roles and this is going to be their future. So we really have to grow this. We really have to make sure it succeeds. So it's no longer, Hey, it's something small enough that I can recover from individually. It's my wife and I, no big deal. We move on now. It's, I have, it just is a lot, lot more involved and it's just a little bit more weight on your shoulders, I guess. And it makes me need to push sometimes more, than I would want to, to ensure that we grow the top line inorganically such that we can afford all the things I know we need over the next five years. So bringing Josh in, bringing a director of ops, it'll take over, bringing a CTO in. Now we brought a bunch of other pieces on board. And so we're going to have to figure out how to make that work. And, you know, for us, I don't know, a little more than a hundred employees or whatever it is, the types of employees that we have, that's feeding thousands of mouths. So it's something that it just involves a lot more pressure. And part of the issue is that once you show any level of success, then there's a bunch of people that want to follow on, you know, so I've had brokers get a hold of foundry owners that I've talked to that have tried to say, Hey, sign up and I'll help you get a better price out of him like that type of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's a little more interesting just because things get harder and harder as you do it. But at the same time, I'd rather figure out, we'll go solve that problem. No matter what, just might be a little bit different order, but at the same time, it's still something that in us. In order for us to go succeed where we're trying to do and making small manufacturing work in the U.S., I'd still rather do these things, go to happy hours, get on these podcasts, talk about how everybody can be successful, and we'll just fight through the soundry part as it is. And so it's, it's not the acute, let's say, it's not the acute fetal position very often, if ever anymore, but That's it is it's still a... Low level of stress at all times because you no longer control it. So you've got to continue to do the same things and you trust that you've built the right organization to, to make that happen and that you don't go bankrupt. Well, and I, by the way, would not say that we're anywhere near successful. Like we're seven years in. Well, that's so you guys, my next question. We're going to have another, we're have another yeah. 20, 30 years or 100 years. I won't, obviously, I won't be here. But we've talked about before we want to make, you know, a billion dollar manufacturing small company and i'm not going to be the one to do it obviously and josh probably isn't going to be josh there either, is looking but... at you
1: like only <laughs> a billion what the, yeah, yeah
0: only well <laughs> it's just a it's just a unique number that happens to be out there but you know that means that josh and i have to create a hell of a legacy and we have to do a lot of stuff now and take a lot of make a lot of sacrifices now and do the right things now such that we can continue to take advantage of how far ahead we are and then go jump into the next thing right after this
3: well so so keep going on that, because I feel like you are you are headed this direction what What does the next five, ten, thirty years of cane cast look like you're You're focused on foundries now. you made reference earlier to maybe more manufacturing coming like what is what is the vision are you
2: We only start with revive? Yes. Yeah, to
0: say like what we're going to do over the next few and then so, jump into the reindustrial. We've been day. talking about
2: this from, since day one or day one for me, and that is taking this and really blowing it out. So I love to teach. I love to build and I love to teach. Reg loves to dream and to excite, to, to spread the vision and get people on board. Really good at building community. And so I think we just want to do more of that at a bigger level. And so how do you do that? One is buying more companies, so we call that turnarounds, right? We're going to buy small, struggling companies. We're going to turn them around, and we're going to own them, and we're going to add them to our cash flow pile, and we're going to have a a ball doing it. And the second one is going to be helping other companies, and we're, we're looking at our first right now, where we help other companies towards some liquidity event, basically, for a number of years. We show them our playbook, and then... When they get that event, we get a percentage of that cash flow. Is
1: that manufacturing only or is that industry agnostic?
2: Right now, we're just looking at manufacturing because our playbook is manu- – like when we look at sales per head, those numbers are going to get blown out of the water if you go to a service business or anywhere else. Where in manufacturing, we know, right, now we're we're dealing with a lot of the same issues, value-add time. you Those concepts exist in service businesses, but it's so different. And now you're spreading yourself too thin. You're all over the place. Your playbook needs rewriting every time. And so we're trying to get that really honed in playbook that we can general enough where it helps a lot of companies, but specific enough where it's actually helpful.
3: Well, not, not for nothing. I think after manufacturing industry, number two is probably
1: law firm. It's legal. Yeah. It's legal Uh, services, particularly (laughs) in the small business acquisition space. So just throwing that out
2: there. Can't wait. Um, And then, and then the third is, is teaching, teaching the, the playbook. Um, and so we, we do have an actual playbook with, with pages. We try to take our ideas. Again, I love doing the framework thing. I love teaching. So for me, this is like what I'm doing at night and weekends. What's the biggest thing we learn? What's the thing we keep harping on? What's the thing Reg keeps telling us at the one-on-one summits? We'll take those and we create playbook pages. We do an acquisition. We'll have a new manager say, hey, you know, when do you guys know when to hire? We say, oh, and I, have, and I realize, oh, we actually have a framework for that. We just haven't written it down. And so we're getting this growing playbook. We want to take that and teach it one to two, three day intensives where we're teaching other manufacturers how to do that, how to be more. And the whole key is what are we trying to teach them? Not just to use our system to be more profitable, to grow more sustainably so that they are not in this like, you know, manufacturing is dying. I don't know how I'm going to pay my kids college bill type of lifestyle. They're freed. Their customers are freed. Their vendors are freed. Literally everybody wins by helping them grow and run a better business. And so those are the three ways that we're trying to take the knowledge that we're gathering and basically we agreed there's there's so much value out there and need out there that we can't we can't even capture it all. Not that that's our goal, but there's so much out there. We just need to be teaching this, giving it away. That's why we love Twitter. That's why I started a newsletter, just sharing as much of it out there as possible. And then hopefully we get to meet some cool people in the process and have some fun.
1: I think that this is the classic entrepreneurial question I want to hear from both of you guys. When will you feel like you've been successful and that you've done enough that that you've reached a point where you go, this business is big enough, I've accomplished enough, and, and and whether you hang it up at that point or not, or when you reach that psychological level, and do you think you'll ever get there?
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't think it'll ever be enough for me. I look at my grandfather, I look at my father, I look at me, and that's just a moving goalpost. It is, it is about the journey that is exciting. I don't want the journey to end. Uh, I think I have a pretty, I say I, we, I think we have a pretty good vision that's going to extend both of our lifetimes. And that's, that's by design. But if for some reason we get there and we build this giant thing and we're part of manufacturing policy in the U S and we have, you know, a giant learning mm-hmm. presence in the, like if we reach all of these incredible goals, some chance, like it, the goals will have been extended in the process because I, there's, it's never going to be solved. and, that's the excitement is getting to that for me, getting to that next goal. So I don't want to get there. I don't, I want to lose my purpose. I don't want to lose my drive. I want to enjoy doing this and every new step brings new relationships. I mean, I've been having uh, a riot getting no Kevin for the last six months. You've grown enough where we're going to, you know, a client of yours now and we can learn and hang out together. And I just want more and more of those cool relationships where we're, we're joking, but we're also learning together. We're going through this together. There are tough times and it's awesome to have, be able to just joke around with somebody, right? So, uh, so yes
1: or no? Assuming you're still alive at 70, you'll still be doing this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Wow. So for me, the big thing—I'm not going to say we'll have made it. It's not the right way to say this. It'll be my role has to be that I've created this company to be able to continue to impact small U.S. based manufacturing and such that you know it's one thing to bring the current executive team through it obviously with our group we have with Kanecast now but the hard part is going to be we've created something to take over Kanecast after we've jumped on to the next roll up we have and the next to the next and so it. I'll feel like we've made it when we've created something that is self-perpetuating that continues to last and it can go far beyond Josh and I and the rest of our, team, our current teams being involved and so that's the culture we've built and the company we've built and it's able to continue
1: So yes or no, you'll still be doing this at 70 if you're alive?
0: Um, I I won't be doing this at 70 per se, like as it currently sits, simply because there would be, like I, I need, I wouldn't then have developed other people that need to be able to do what I do. So much more mentoring, helping per se, if it was something like that, but it will not be as it currently sits in our organization or anything like this. Because then I'll have failed to do what ultimately we should be doing.
1: Anything I love you, that. Anything you guys want to plug or say before we wrap? Yeah, so wrap, wrap up. Uh,
3: Josh, you Thank mentioned you. Your, uh, your email newsletter. I know you're both active on Twitter. Feel free to shout out the projects you're working on. Let people know where to find you. Um, we'll let Josh go. And then Reg, if you want to plug anything, we'll wrap up with that.
2: Yeah, just, just Twitter. I mean, that's the best place to interact, to share ideas. To I invite you to disagree with me. Uh, I think disagreements where we figure things out together. I always change my, my approach a little bit when, when we disagree. So I think Twitter is the best place to, to hang out and learn more.
3: Well, guys, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us live in Dallas. We're off to a happy hour. Um, so those of you listening to the live stream, if you actually happen to be in Dallas, all one of you. Uh, please please come join us at 6 o'clock but um, otherwise we will catch you on next week's episode
1: thanks for listening to this episode of Mundane Millionaires if you enjoyed what you heard in this episode make sure to follow Mundane Millionaires wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts see you next time